my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. iHeartRadio presents Podversations, a weekly discussion with the biggest names and influencers in podcasting. Want to learn the secret psych-up ritual scrub stars Zach Braff and Donald Faison use before every fake doctor's real friends taping? How Vice News parachutes into war zones to rescue journalists from life-threatening situations? Or why Keegan-Michael Key and Blumhouse believe 3D audio is the future of storytelling? Whether you're a newbie trying to break into the podcast game or an exec trying to refine your playbook, Podversations is the easiest way to keep your pulse on the industry. Hello and welcome to the iHeart Podcast Speaker Series. As you know, we like to take a minute every week to talk to some of our favorite creators, favorite podcasters, thinkers. And it's a chance to think about what the industry is doing, what great new podcasts we might have. Uh, and it's one of my favorite times, honestly, each week to get a chance to, to chat with the talent. So I was thinking about this week's conversation and was remembering, I guess, as this was two and a half years ago, when we started talking to Charlemagne the God about creating a new podcast network that he he had envisioned, it was a podcast network dedicated to black voices. Felt like obviously there wasn't the representation there needed to be in the podcast space. And so he came up with a pretty awesome list of talent that he really wanted to approach about being part of this. And I'll remember, you know, that list forever, probably. But one of the first names, I'd say in the first three or four names in there was Teslin Figaro. And he was passionate about getting Teslin to join this network because, you know, what she brings to a conversation and to a network is this ability to examine controversial or thought-provoking topics, but by doing so, by bringing on this diverse range of talent from all different political viewpoints, thinking about social consciousness and culture and politics, sort of this mix of hip-hop and political expertise, and she keeps her ears to the street to sort of bring that knowledge and savvy to every single discussion, and she does this with power and purpose, and so that's why I'm excited today to get to speak to Teslin Figaro. Teslin, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you to the iHeart family and you for welcoming me. You were one of the first folks that I talked to and joining the family. So thank you so much. I will never forget that. You know how you remember some of those conversations you have for the first time, remember exactly where you were. And I remember exactly where I was in an airport. So excited to get a chance to chat with you after everything Charlemagne had said. And so, you know, in the introduction, I mentioned the fact that you make a point to look at and talk to people with a wide range of viewpoints. And not only that, 
you're one of the few commentators and journalists and people sort of investigating everything going on that is willing to go on news sources of a wide range of views. And you really don't see that a lot. Is, is that always been part of your approach? I'm curious because truly you are very unique in this sense that you'll see you on various, very different ends of the political spectrum in terms of the people that you're talking to. Maybe talk a little bit about it, whether that's always been your approach and or sort of how that came about for you. Yeah, thank you for that question. Uh, I won't say that it is a strategic approach, Will. It is truly just my gift. And I say that not in a way to uh, be boastful. I say it in a very humble uh, way of understanding uh, the gifts that my creator has blessed me with. Um, for those who really get into uh, you know, the spiritual side of things, there is uh, something called life paths. And I was not surprised at all to find out that I was a life path nine. And a life path nine literally says verbatim, the ability to speak to people from all walks of life the ability to see uh, see things that others do not. It's one reason why I'm a poet, uh, the discernment to be able to see metaphors and analogies and people struggle and, and their, their walk of life in their shoes and see the humanity, but also at the same time, prick their conscience and challenge them in a way that others may be afraid to do. And so when I think about just how I've always been, my whole life, people tell me, I was talking to a young lady yesterday and she said, I wanna be like you when I grow up. And I told her, if you were like me, you would already be that. This is not a, hey, let me learn how to be this way. I can think back throughout my entire childhood, every single report card, you know, great student, but talks too much. Or the first one that uh, my first bloody nose was in the second grade fighting for Shantae Rowland, the bully that was bullying her. I remember Kelly Reynolds in the fourth grade when she was being bullied by Stephanie Collins. I stood up to her over chocolate milk. I remember standing up to the teacher, Miss Harris in sixth grade. You know, I got suspended in the sixth and seventh grade, by the way. I was the loudest cheerleader on my cheerleading squad. I've always, have always, and even when I was cheering, you know, most cheerleaders stand on the side and they say, go team, go. I was on the side saying, coach, get him out, sit him down. If he's not good enough for the game, put him out, you know? So this is literally, who I am, um, whether it's been my Air Force service, my recruiter said, there's no way you could be an M60 gunner. Why don't you try to go be something else, an admin or a nurse? And I said, no, I don't want to clear the room. So it, it's who I am. It makes me very comfortable in uncomfortable spaces. My background, my paternal side of my family was completely different than my maternal side of the family. And every weekend I was rotating between both families. And so I saw a lot growing up. I experienced a lot. And all of those things just make it very easy for me to go on very extreme right networks and also very liberal in the middle and all the way left. And I have conversations with all of them, but I still remain the same Tesla. And I've loved watching that. And when you say you remain the same Tesla, and I've made it a point to try to watch you on different outlets. And you're absolutely right that even for a viewer, you don't present any differently on a far right network than you do on the left. And I've always admired that about you. It's funny to hear you talk about, you know, your childhood. It reminds me of a, a friend who's a parent I was talking to not too long ago who has this very determined and bold child. And the child has gotten in trouble a few times. And we just keep saying those traits will serve that child super well one day. And I'm guessing there were some similar comments made about you of those traits will serve her well one day. And they certainly have. But it makes me think, did you always know that you wanted to follow a path somehow into the media or into communications? Well, my mother was a secretary for the news uh, director in my hometown. 
So I grew up around television. You know, my first commercial, I was in the fourth grade. TV to me was very, which I think will plays a part in why I am so comfortable on camera because I've always been on camera, but that's the journalist side of things. And I tell people all the time, the journalist reporter side actually conflicts with opinion commentators. A lot of journalists, they don't even see opinion commentators as serious journalists or serious about the news. What I say is commentators like myself, we create the stories and reporters report on it. But being blessed to be a part of both of those worlds growing up, my mentor was Yuzi Brown Washington. She was the first black woman who was a weekend anchor at K4 NBC affiliate. So I always knew that television would be in the mix. But the moment that I learned that being a reporter was not for me, it's very similar to Oprah's story when she said, you know, she started reporting and she was crying and getting emotional. And they said, you can't bring emotions, you know, to, to what it is. What I learned is I just knew I was going to do radio, television, and film. I was going to be a reporter. And it really was when the O.J. Simpson case happened and I was in high school at that time. That's when Court TV really got on. It's actually when CNN started doing a lot of opinion commentary. And Court TV, I would obsess over that case. I mean, literally, we would record it every day and watch it at night, you know, and watch it from beginning to end. I still watch it, by the way. A documentary's coming up that's showing me actually watching it with Benjamin Crump. But I would obsess over that case. And that was when I learned, wow, I can actually talk about the law because the dream was to go to law school. So, and politics is all about laws. But Court TV is what actually showed me that I could talk about the law and give my opinion and be on TV all at the same time. So it really was those early Court TV journalists, the Star Jones when she was there at the time, Nancy Grace, you know, all of those folks. That was when I said, okay, that is it. But I still didn't aspire to that. My mom stopped working at the television station. There was no path. Nobody put me in the game. Getting into politics and always raising my hand and people covering it. And then me going to the microphone to talk about it is how this came. There was no path. I don't think there is a path to be a commentator. You yeah, either are yeah. or you're not. It's a yeah. certain amount of degree that you yeah, go learn how to do. You know, it's interesting you talk about the OJ case and I was also in high school at the time. I'd not really stopped to think about how much that shifted or influenced the future of, you know, like news commentary. And as you mentioned, court TV and things like that, that's super interesting to think about that happening. I was also curious about the origins for you of, you know, the political advising sort of piece of this as well, where you've been a consultant and advisor to many. How did that come about for you? Well, I've always ran my business. I've always worked in corporate America or I had a staffing firm in Orlando, Florida. I had 300 employees, but my staffing firm was very focused on community and really focused on giving people opportunities that they did not otherwise have. Again, from my own personal story, you know, leaving home at 18 years old and going to Dallas, Texas, not having a place to stay, sleeping in my car, not having a job. It was a staffing firm that first gave me that opportunity. Because I carry those stories near and dear to me, because my parents, there was not even a silver spoon, no spoon at all. It truly did. I truly did come from a family that said, my grandmother would say, sit on your own bottom. My life experiences have has allowed me to be able to understand how they're directly connected to politics. 
And because I do not shy away from my homies and different, Charlemagne calls me the hood whisperer, because I don't shy away from those stories, even now today, it gives me a different insight that a politician may be too far removed from or a high profile person may be too far removed from. Also notice that a lot of even my clients, they're usually centered around people that are yes people that don't give them the truth, that don't want to offend, or they're there because they're trying to go in a certain career trajectory. And, and the, the quickest way to lose a job is to tell a politician the truth. <laughs> so because I'm not looking for a job, because I'm not looking for advancement or an opportunity, people tend to bring me around because they know they're going to get it wrong. For example, Attorney Benjamin Crump, for those who are not listening, Time Magazine has ranked him as one of the most 100 influential people in the country. He keeps me around to push back. I tell people all the time, we don't agree on everything. He literally calls me and says, what's wrong with this picture? I'll call him and give him unsolicited advice. He says, yeah. I'm, I give him more unsolicited advice than anybody. <laughs> no. um, he obviously appreciates it. Yeah, he does. And, and it, it's not that they do what I say or, you know, they'll always do what I say. It's not a thing of me bullying them into what I think. It is just giving a different lens, a different perspective on yeah. how this might land on someone else. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a four me opportunities to advise some pretty important folks, you know, and, and how they craft their view of the world. Yeah. You know, one more question before I get to the podcast, this just made me think about this when you were talking about, you know, your clients or politicians not wanting to hear from people who may disagree with them or always hearing from yes men. I, though I'm curious at the same time, how much have you seen this shift in the days of 24-7 social media bombardment where you really can't also escape the naysayers, right? Because that now you're sort of also flooded with people, no matter where you sit on the political spectrum, no matter what, you know, your policies are, or views are, you're always going to hear from people who disagree with you. And I'm curious how that has shifted your work as a consultant on that front, having to deal with politicians who probably are having a hard time tuning out the naysayers or people just bombarding them with negativity? Well, I mean, the digital space has always been a part of my career, you know, because I'm still, I'm not a millennial, but I'm not a full generation X. I call it, you know, they call it x lineal. So it's not mm -hmm. like I operated in a space without the digital space. Right. So it's always been a part of it. So if I were to say how it shifted, has it increased? Yes. To give you a real straight shot with no chaser was the name of my show, by the way, answer. They don't listen to what the naysayers say. And a lot of times, Will, that's the problem. They're not tuned in to what people are saying on the ground. They operate from a way of either, oh, they don't know what they're talking about, or I don't have time to listen to that. I got to focus on what I'm doing. And some of that is true. You know, I tell politicians, they have to be, the makeup of a politician has to look very straightforward, has to block out any negative, whether it's social media in the grocery store, in order to stay focused. So they got that part down. The problem is what happens when you do need to know that everybody can't be wrong about this? If a million constituents are saying that you fold it like a napkin, you probably fold it like a napkin. At least take that into consideration. And that's where my job comes in, where I actually do take the time to read what they say. So it hasn't shifted. They've always, and when I say they, and I, and I want to be clear, that's not everybody. When I say always, I don't mean every single person. Right. But for the most part, they do a great job tuning out. Yeah. My role is to make them tune in. Let's talk about it. when you say tune in and you referenced your podcast, Straight Shot, No Chaser. Let's talk about that a bit. So 
first of all, what made you think to do a podcast and, and sort of what, what inspired the idea for the podcast? Well, I've been in radio and television for over a decade plus. You know, when people mm-hmm. tell me, oh, I didn't know you did this. And it's like, well, you saw the end of the journey, not the beginning, you know. So whether I had my own, my first television show was in 2004. It was called Unscripted uh, at University mm-hmm. of North Texas. Nobody knew about it because it was at the college, you know, and it was just a show at the college. But it still was the same thing. It was me, Unscripted not edited. You know, one of the producers said, you know, we, we edit this at the end and everything that I do is live TV. There's never any edits. I don't do edits. You know, I, I do. This is what it is. So it was called Unscripted. And then after that, I had a television show in Orlando, Florida, again, on a local television station. And I did radio at WOKB AM Talk Radio, which is different for everybody. My, my co-host, who was a co-host with me at the time, his name is Don Miller. We would always say anybody can do radio, but everybody can't do talk radio. So totally different skill set. My mom would always say, you have an answer for everything. And literally I have an answer for everything and it works well in the talk space. So to me, the podcast is just to me, radio all over again. I did it if I was doing it on blog talk radio for $39 a month you know, to host my own conversation. It's the same thing. We're just recording it and uploading it to the largest audio platform in the world. The conversation is the same. So there was no inspiring. This is what had to be done. I've been called for this. Very different. It's not a career. It is truly a calling, which means that if I don't say what needs to be said, then I am literally tossing and turning and through the night. And it's never been about the numbers to me. I had videos and radio shows where very few people listened, but I was able to get it off my chest and, and put it out there. Now, if you go back and look at that, you'll see all of the things that are happening now prophesized 10 years ago. Mm-hmm, uh, and I'm glad mm-hmm. that I was able to put it on, on record. So for somebody that has hasn't heard the podcast before, first of all, should definitely check it out. But but if they haven't, how would you describe the mission of the podcast in, in a few lines? What I love, and I'm going to do my best to do a few lines, I think audio is so important. And I was, was thinking about this just yesterday. And mm-hmm. I apologize. I know you said a few lines, but I no, think- You know what, Tesla, take that yeah, back. Wanna, it's actually, you, yeah, it's just just tell us about yeah. it. Just, I just want to frame this on why it's so important. Yeah. I ran into somebody uh, two days ago and- I was getting some cash to go into a lounge and he asked me, why do you keep walking back and forth? I said, I don't have any cash. And I had to go get some cash. And he said, as we were holding a conversation, he said, you sound so familiar to me. Hmm. And most people would say, you look familiar. or I think I know you. And he kept saying, you sound so familiar. And the place that I was at was not a place that you would assume somebody would be listening to my podcast or any of the things that I do. But he kept saying, no, your sound, you sound so familiar. And I just said, well, do you follow politics? And he said, Tesla Figaro. <laughs> and that was, this will truly go down as one of what they say, a defining moment. I, I really wanted to think about that. Sometimes I go live on IG and I turn my camera off and people will come in and say, we can't see you. We need to see you. And I, I tell people all the time, stop looking at me. Stop looking for a distraction. Don't worry about my lipstick and what I look like and what my hair is looking like and all that. Listen to what I'm saying. The audio signal is literally a language with the brain. It is soul stirring. It does something in the spirit, in the conscious. It's a spirit to spirit conversation. So when we talk about podcasts and audio, it is the very sense of hearing my voice and knowing that I'm touching somebody's soul. You can't do that by looking at somebody. And so when when you talk about what is my podcast about, it is exactly that. It is meant to prick the conscious, prick the soul, make you think about something you did not otherwise think of. One of the things I always say at the end of my podcast, use it, lose it, can't make you choose it. I'm not trying to make you choose it. You can use it or you can lose it. 
But what it's doing is, it's what we call a mediation, peeling the onion, giving an opportunity to hear what you're not going to hear on mainstream TV and me being a pundit on mainstream TV. It's only so far I can go. I only have two minutes or three minutes. This gives me a deeper dive. I go back and forth between interviews and my commentary, but I notice as we're trying to still shape the show into what people really want, what I find is the most received is my commentary because people really want to know they want somebody to call a thing a thing. So if I had to summarize it up, it is truly, you know, calling a thing a thing. Even if you don't agree or, you know, like what I say, it is definitely calling it what it is. And it's very different that you do not hear among my colleagues. There's only about 30, I believe, actual contributors in cable news. And what I mean by that is MSNBC, Fox News, BNC, and CNN. There's only about 30 contributor, black contributors. You have many people that appear over and over. And I'll tell the listeners to know, you'll know they're a contributor if they say joining us is BNC contributor, Teslin Figaro. There is such a small voice for black contributors in mainstream media. There's such a small voice in the podcast space, only 70% of those who listen to podcasts. So listening to what it is that I'm pushing at, and most of the shows, you know, and honestly, this is not minimizing anybody, but most podcasts are entertainment focused, or love, relationships, things that are palatable, easy to digest, fun. The work that I'm doing is very, very hard. It has to land on 50,000 people to get two people to respond. So it, it's a great deal amount of responsibility and understanding that this space, you know, it, it's necessary. And so that's what I would say. If we had to say to one sentence, it's necessary. What I'm saying is necessary on so many different levels to really hear the truth. Not somebody that's pandering towards an agenda. I'm independent. I'm not a Democrat or Republican. You can guess what networks, all of them across the board, all of them have an agenda. You can yep. tell who's working for who. And I think, I know, when you listen to me, you can't figure out who I'm working with because I call everybody out across the board. And that, <laughs> that's really, you know, what you get from me. And I like that your guests that you have on are always thoughtful in that sense as well. And it's a, such a range, whether you're talking about, you know, Killer Mike to Bishop Swan, or, you know, you just such an, an, an interesting mix of guests that you've had on. That phrase that you used prick the soul. I don't know if I've heard that before, but I like that because there's this image or this idea that pricking, you're not exactly trying to hurt somebody, but you're doing enough to like make it come to life. You're doing enough to sort of wake it up. And I just, I like that idea of how you're sort of getting these conversations going. Maybe talk a little bit about, you know, what you see with the podcast going forward. Are there some guests that you'd like to have on or conversations or series you'd like to start as part of this? I definitely want to continue to have more of a diverse audience. I also would love to do something similar to what Timberland and Swiss Beast is doing with Versus. I would love yeah. to see people willing to sit down and have a versus battle on ideology. Yeah. You mm -hmm. mentioned something a moment ago. You said, you know, it's not that you're trying to hurt anybody. You're trying to get them. And I say that if somebody's hurt by my words, let's unpack that. Where does that pain yeah. come from? Like, I'm okay with you getting your feelings hurt. See, that's what yeah. I mean when I say prick the conscious. Like, let's tap into it. And if mm -hmm. you're hurt by my words, there's something that triggered you. Mm -hmm. that we need to identify. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And you have so many folks, and, and actually um, Shirley Chisholm, uh, first black person ever and woman that ran for president used uh, prick the conscious a lot. It might hurt. Yeah, it might hurt. Words hurt sometimes. Mm -hmm. And rather than, oh, that hurt my feelings. What is it about it? 
Mm-hmm. Did it get too close to home? Let's deal with that. Like, let's understand. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if we're okay with that, nobody goes, when you go to war, when I signed up, I certainly didn't want to go to war. But when I signed up, I had a choice. I could either do paperwork or it could be an M60 gunner with a 23-pound weapon. Did I sign up for that will with saying, oh, I didn't know that I would ever have to fire a shot. Oh, I'm confused. Did you sign up to be a boxer to not expect any hits? If we're really going to get down to the differences that we have and the similarities that we have and really make change, or guess what? We may not make any change at all. We can just have an understanding for each other, which I believe. (laughs) Yep. Then we have to have these tough conversations. And so that's a part of it. I would love to have people who are willing to, some of my guests that I've had, I've asked them to come do a versus uh, with someone else. And then I also, based on what my listeners have been saying, they want more commentary from me. When you think of some of the people who's been most successful in this business, Rush Limbaugh, who I did not agree with any of his political positions, Mm -hmm. but he was number one in radio for a very long time. And he wasn't interviewing folks. He was talking. And what I've seen from those who do really, really well, if you look at a Joe Rogan again, I don't follow his way on the political spectrum. When you look at the things that he's talking about or what he's trending about, it's not who he interviewed, it's what he said. Yeah, exactly. So in the space that I'm in, people have a yearning for wanting to know how to unpack things, not me telling people Mm -hmm. what to do, but they Mm -hmm. really want that political education. And Mm -hmm. I think I definitely want to do a better job of that because when I'm interviewing, it's a different personality. I'm doing more listening than I am talking. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and but I'm noticing people want me to talk more because they're like, explain this to me. I want to get it going. So right now we flip back and forth between commentary and interview, commentary and interview. But the show is still, you know, still somewhat new, a year or so old. So we're still shaping, you know, how we want that to look. And I tell people, you know, reach out to me, tell me what you like. And that's usually where I get them the best feedback. Well, I love the conversations that you've started. And even among our team here, when we catch up with producers, you know, your show is one of them that comes up probably most frequently just in terms terms of, you know, sort of instigating conversation or initiating conversation. And and I always appreciate that. And so for all of our viewers and listeners here today, again, if you have not checked it out, Straight Shot No Chaser with Teslin Figaro. Teslin, thanks for all the work you do, the dedication to your craft as well. There is no question, whenever you listen to one of your episodes, there's no such thing as phoning it in. There's no such thing as like trying to pull double duty while doing this, while also doing something else. You can tell with every episode, you're putting your heart and soul into it. It really comes through. And so I just want to say thank you for being partners with us and for doing all that you do for this show. Thank you. It means a lot. And thank you for the opportunity. Podversations is a production of iHeartRadio. You can find more from the biggest names in podcasting on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.